So Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 13, that those who persevere to the end shall be saved. So <laughs> there are some who uh, we question their salvation at this, uh, at this last session. So we're going to start off by adding them to our hit lists, and then we will uh, pray for them. <laughs> Especially uh, your campus pastors. <laughs> no, I'm joking. They all have good reason. Weddings and kids and all. Uh, but one of the things that has really struck me um, so far in this uh, conference, or we're coming to an end now, but is um, that it's definitely not a milk conference. And uh, a lot of the time, um, you go to a conference and it's just something to kind of excite you, make you, you know just excited and pumped up and then you go for it but it's seldom challenging and equipping and I really believe that's uh, that's what we've received already um, you know I was thinking about um, a chart session in Philippians 1 and uh, I like how he started off by saying in writing this book Paul is showing that he sees someone else more important than himself you know and and this is kind of like how a Christian should be seeing others more important than ourselves I like how he showed us any bad circumstance can be used for the furtherance of the gospel. And the practical challenge was really good. Uh, you know, if somebody comes to your house to fix something or deliver something, minister to them. Ask God like, for a word for them. Share the gospel with them. Something. And then we had Etienne who uh, 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 challenged us again with uh, never honor the man or woman of God above the word of God. And how important it is for us to maintain humility and vulnerability. And, and I put it like this, in order to deal with the cancer of self. And how we are better together, better, uh, stronger together. And uh, that's one of the themes that comes out continuously in, in um, the book of Philippians, is the togetherness, the, the oneness that we share. And I think I'll get into that in a sec. But um, Peter, then we had a great session with Peter. Really, the thing which, which, which struck me right in the beginning of what he said was, you know, when we put it into practice, what we're learning here, what we're doing here, then it kind of impacts eternity. And I mean, from the beginning to the end, it was really just stirring how um, that's our purpose, that's our point, is eternity. And how everything we're doing in this life should be geared towards that. Um, and so, yeah, thank you to Peter, Etienne, and, and Chad for what they've uh, uh, given us already. But now going into uh, Philippians chapter 4, I want to kind of focus in on keys for successful Christian living. Because littered through or scattered throughout chapter 4, you see a number of different keys uh, uh, for Christian, successful Christian living. And right in Philippians chapter 4 verse 1 from the Passion, he says, My dear and precious friends, I mean, we can just pause there and, and, and see the affection with, with uh, the way that he uh, addresses the church in Philippi. Whom I deeply love, you have truly become my glorious joy and crown of reward. Now arise in the fullness of your union with our Lord. The New Living Translation puts it and says, For you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. 
So the, 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 one of the first things I want to challenge us on with regard to uh, uh, keys for successful Christian living is what is our motivation for what we do? What is our um, uh, reward that we're aiming for? You know, we need to have the correct perspective. The whole of Philippians chapter 4 can even be described as uh, 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 helping us um, fine-tune or correct our perspective so that we've got the right perspective, we've got the right focus. So what are you focused on? What is your perspective? What are you aiming at reward-wise? Okay, one of the... I wasn't going to go here. But one one of the, the, the tragedies of the, 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 the grace movement, which I'm a part of, is that we've, we've taken away uh, uh, the idea of rewards. And we've made it all about just sit back and just relax. And then a huge passivity comes in from that. And that's why I've been in many different grace uh, uh, um, conferences and, and gatherings and groups and pastors meetings and whatever and you know what the sad number one com- thing in common that they all have is across the board you know what the number one thing that they have in common sadly is very very few converts what they have in common is people coming from Christian camps and coming into a deeper revelation, which is awesome because that's the majority of our story, and we appreciate that, but the last are not being found. Because we're, we're, we're preaching to the, the, the people that were like us, coming from a, a, a lesser revelation, so to say. You know, something where it's like, wow, uh, I've been experiencing so much freedom, and we're trying to help other people come into this freedom, which is great, But we're not marketing or packaging or aiming to seek and save that which is lost. Okay? And um, we've got to, if you look in the Word, there's rewards. Now, we don't work for our salvation. Salvation is a gift. Relationship with God is a gift. But there's rewards. And one day you're going to cry when you get to heaven. (laughs) You know, if you're seeing some of the rewards being dished out to others. But that's not my message today. My message is Philippians 4 verse 1. Which says that you have truly become my glorious crown, joy and crown of reward. And what I like is Paul saying, hey, what is my reward? What is my crown? It's you. The fruit of his labor. He's not saying it's, it's prosperity. It's, it's, it's this abundance of wealth. It's not this uh, 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 prestige or this, this status that he's got, his title or whatever. He's saying, you are my reward. Seeing you, knowing what God's doing in your life, that's my reward. Okay? Now arise in the fullness of your union with our Lord. That's the passion. The, the King James says, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved uh, and, you know, this is another key for, for successful Christian living. So, number one, it would be to make sure you've got the right motivation, which is love, which is in the Lord, which is you're starting from a place of relationship with God, which is I'm not doing this to try and earn blessing, to earn favor. I'm doing this because of love, knowing that one day there's a reward, but I'm not expecting uh, uh, cash to be deposited in my account by God today. Okay? And then he says, 
uh, now arise in the fullness of your union with the Lord, or stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. So another key is to know your position. Your perspective on your position or your status determines your fruitfulness. So if we're wanting fruitful Christian living, we've got to know where we stand. And it's in the Lord. Now, in the Greek, uh, uh, the stand fast in the Lord, Philippians 4.1, uh, is translated as stand fast, which could be like hold your position. Okay. In the Aramaic, it could be translated as arise. Okay. But... It's, it's act from your position. But we've got to do both as believers. Number one, we've got to uh, stand fast in our identity in the Lord. And number two, we've got to arise or act from our position in the Lord. Christianity is never meant to be passive. Christianity is never meant to be just a, I tick that box when I enter the, the, the 2022 uh, census, you know, in South Africa, I'm a Christian. <clears throat> Christianity is never meant to be, I, I just go to church on a Sunday. Christianity is supposed to be something from where we live our whole lives. So there needs to be a fruitfulness, and we'll see more of that. The second thing, verse 2, that a key for a successful Christian living would be, uh, verse 2, New, New Living Translation. Now I appeal to you, Eudea, and Sintash, uh, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. So, you know, another key is, is just relationships. And that's already come through. But we're part of one another. And so we need to make sure that we are maintaining healthy relationships. Okay? Now, he's saying, because you belong to the Lord, because you're in, in, in Christ... Settle your disagreement. Okay? You're not going to get along with everyone. Or let me say it like this. You can get along with everyone, but you're not going to be friends with everyone. Okay? But maturity is measured in being able to get along with anyone, no matter what. Okay? Sometimes uh, 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 you just have to be the bigger person. Sometimes you're just going to have to get up and start to uh, uh, be like a Christian. This is what Philippians is showing us as well, what a Christian life looks like. Okay? If you go over to Galatians, I'm going to come back to Philippians, but Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 to 2, it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such and one in the spirit of meekness considering thyself lest thou also be tempted bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ I like how the passion puts it, it says beloved friends if you see a believer who's overtaken with the fault may the one who overflows with the spirit seek to restore him so the one overtaken in the fault is also uh, 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 got the spirit but the one overtaken with the fault, the one in trouble, is not overflowing in the Spirit. And so you need to be in a place of overflowing in the Spirit. That's maturity. And then you can help other people overcome their issues. Okay? Verse 2 there in the Passion says, Love empowers us to fulfill the law of the Anointed One as we carry each other's troubles. So, maturity or relationships is a key to successful Christianity. And maturity in relationships would be that we're helping each other with our burdens. 
So we're not rubbing out each other up the wrong way, purposefully. <laughs> we're helping each other. You know that, um, uh, uh, not a great example, but Lucas is, is really trying to avoid chocolate cake, so I don't bring chocolate cake <laughs> to the party. You know, that, that would be something like to help Lucas, okay? Uh, uh, so so you, know, you know what I'm saying then, you don't try and push people's buttons, you, you consider it, you're thinking about them. Okay, so back to Philippians chapter 4 verse 3. <clears throat> We're not going to go through every verse, but uh, I want to go through a couple of verses here. Verse 3 says, And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, I like that, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with my other fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, it says there, fellow laborers, yoke fellow, yoke is like this idea of that oxen, the yoke that they would put around their necks, and they would be working together, keeping the pace together, and then fellow laborers and yoke fellow both give the idea of work, <laughs> something we all want to avoid sometimes, most times, work. You know, and this is saying that there's a work in the gospel which they were doing together. Okay, King James says, verse uh, uh, 4 and 5, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Think about the, the love and the relationship that Paul is expressing towards um, uh, uh, the church of Philippi. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel until the first uh, from the first day until now. The, the thing I want to bring out in relationships here as a key to successful Christian living is that Paul's uh, uh, praying for his friends. Paul's praying for this church. You know, as we mature in the Lord, we should also be praying for one another, praying for our leaders, praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then you know what happens as we're praying for them, especially the difficult ones? Is God gives you His heart for that person. So you're struggling with someone, start praying for them. Start praying for them. Now, all of a sudden, someone's going to get all these messages. I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you. Don't send me messages if you're praying for me. God will tell me. <laughs> okay? So, I thank my God upon... Imagine being the, 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 the point of that prayer in a positive life. Where, where somebody is um, thanking God for you every time that they're praying for you. They're not going, oh God. This person. Like, you get to choose how people pray for you. Did you ever think of it like that? You get to choose how people pray for you. How do you want people to pray for you? Start living like that. Okay, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you made all making requests with joy. It's not with burden. It's not, a, 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 but there's a lot of joy. He's thankful for this, this group, the, for this church, for your fellowship in the gospel until, uh, from the first day until now. Now the word fellowship, there's koinonia, which is fellowship, association or communion. And this is what the Bible is talking about. You know, uh, when it speaks about communion, it's not talking about the Lord's Supper or bread and cup. It's talking about our oneness with each other. And that is a huge key 
to uh, successful Christian living. Is you can't do it without this communion. The relationship that we have with one another. Okay? Part of the fellowship in the gospel was that Paul was supported financially by them. So it's not just a nice idea that, hey, we're brothers in Christ, we're sister and brother, whatever, we're family. The, 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 the idea comes across in communion with each other that there is a flow of finances as well, of looking after one another and then obviously plowing into the furtherance of the gospel. So part of fellowship was that they, they supported Paul. And here's the thing. You can hear the love between, Philip, uh, between Paul and the church, you know, Philippi. Okay? Love can never not give. Love can never not give. For God so loved the world that He gave. Love can never not give when it sees a need. Love can never not give when it sees a need. And even when there isn't a need, those of you who've ever loved anybody, you know, you still want to give, you still want to be a blessing, you still want to help in some way. You know, and then it's kind of like sometimes awkward because people will be like, you know, how can I help you? What can I do for you? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but, but then they can figure it out. Paul was writing to these people to thank them, these friends, these people who he dearly loved, to thank them for their support. And we're going to look a bit at, about that in a moment. But James chapter 2, verse 14 to 17. James chapter 2, verse 14 to 17 echoes this, what we see in action in Philippians. My dear brothers and sisters, what good is it if someone claims to have faith but demonstrates no good works to prove it? Now people get a bit up, upset with this, these passages of Scripture. And they're like, you know, uh, 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 it's uh, legalistic or whatever. It's not. This isn't talking about works for salvation. This is talking about works because of salvation. If your salvation isn't causing you to work... Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> you know, our salvation, knowing that Christ lives in us, those, those, uh, that whole thing I read out last night, if you just focus in on your identity in Christ and you start to believe that, you're not going to keep still. You're going to start working. Not because you feel like you should to be able to obtain, but because I'm so thankful. It's the same thing with giving, finances. Finances, giving into the offering, giving into uh, admissions, giving to brothers and sisters in need, or whatever the case is, isn't because we're trying to get something. It's because we're trying to accomplish something together. We're not trying to get God to give us something. He's given everything of Himself to us. Now we are so thankful and in response to Him going, Father, I want to be part of what you're doing in the world. I want to be part of expanding your kingdom. I want to be part of your dream and your desire and your plan to change the world. How could this kind of faith save anyone? The one that's got no works. For example, if a brother or sister in the faith is poorly clothed and hungry and you leave them saying goodbye, I hope you stay warm and have plenty to eat, but you don't provide them with a coat or even a cup of soup, what good is your faith? So then faith that doesn't involve action is phony. Yeah, we were looking at this verse on uh, Friday morning at uh, Century City uh, Monica Men's Group. 
And what came out so clearly for us with this passage was that, you know, the works of our faith is love. The works of our faith is love. Because now you've got the Spirit of God living in you. And the Spirit of God living in you is, the fruit of that is love, joy, peace, patience, etc. So now you've got love inside of you. Love will start to compel you. As a Christian, the more you start to realize who you are, the more love you start to operate in. The more you start to become such a, a nicer person. Amen. That should be all of our testimony. Sadly, it's not. Another key for successful Christian living, which is the, the main thing in the book of uh, Philippians and in chapter 4 especially, is perspective and attitude. Perspective and attitude. Sometimes a lot of Christians live as if it really doesn't matter what your perspective is and it really doesn't matter what your attitude is like. It matters. Because you're a billboard for Jesus, you're either a good one or a bad one. And if that's putting, making you feel a bit pressured, good. Because if you're a bad billboard, like, then you're the reason some people don't come to church. And there's no condemnation for those in Christ, but there's correction. <laughs> Amen? Amen? And so let this be just a correction for you to say, okay, you know what? I'm not going to try harder, but I'm going to start changing my focus. As Christians, when we realize that we're out of line, we don't try harder. We change our focus. We change our perspective. We choose to see things differently, and we choose to then uh, start to renew our minds to those things and start to make that our default. That's why if you're struggling with things and if you're struggling with uh, uh, seeing yourself like God sees you, ask your campus pastor. All the campus pastors have that Who I Am in Christ list now on WhatsApp. Ask them to send it to you. They'll send it to you. And then take that Who I Am in Christ list and read it out every day. At boot camp, that's what they're doing every day now. But we're doing it together. Out loud. Because we need to convince ourselves sometimes. But perspective will determine your attitude. Your focus will determine your, your perspective, which determines your attitude. So if your attitude stinks, if you don't know if your attitude stinks, if you're wondering, ask someone sitting around you quickly. No, don't do it now. We don't want tears. But the point is, is if you don't know that your attitude stinks, maybe just ask someone who's like a thermometer in your life. <laughs> and then what you do is you don't get angry because someone tells you the truth. You, you, you start to change your perspective. You cho choose to change your focus. Because your attitude is your responsibility. This is blessing. I can hear it. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4 verse 4. Now we're going to get into the, 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 the key verses here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now we've got to remind ourselves, Paul's writing from prison, from jail. It's not the Holiday Inn. It's not the, the Hilton Hotel. It's not from his comfy couch in some villa. It's prison. It's jail. Okay, he's writing from jail. And if he from jail can say rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice, then so can we rejoice in our circumstances. It's amazing how, you know, I know some, some of you might be living in some kind of jail right now. You might feel like you're in a jail. Okay, 
Paul is not unsympathetic, I'm not unsympathetic, but if Paul can write from a real jail saying rejoice in the Lord always, you can rejoice no matter what your circumstances. Because he's not saying rejoice in your circumstances, he's saying rejoice in the Lord. What does that mean? I would, be, I would put it to you, and it's going to come out again later, that he's saying rejoice in your union with Christ. And yet most Christians don't rejoice in that. They might just sing rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's probably not going to help you. Unless your heart is truly rejoicing in the Lord. You've got to rejoice in the truth about the Lord. You've got to rejoice in the truth about, hey, I'm one with Him. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. I'm one with Him. Okay? So we're rejoicing in the fact that we're one with Him. The Passion says... Be cheerful with joyous celebration in every season of life. So there isn't a season of life where you shouldn't be cheerful, where you shouldn't be joyous. Okay? I hope this is correcting some of you. <laughs> yeah, because it's so easy to go, you know what, how can I be happy at a time like this? Yeah? And that's not what God's called us to. Why? You know, you might be thinking, but it's so difficult. It's difficult because you're focused on the things that you're focused on. If I was focused on the things you're focused on, I would probably be like you. We can change our attitude. We can change our perspective. We can change our focus. Okay, otherwise, then this verse, uh, these verses shouldn't be in the Bible. Be cheerful with joyous celebration in every season of life. Why? Because you're a Christian. <laughs> this, is, this is Christianity 101. This is what a Christian does. This is how a Christian lives. Is cheerfulness, joyfulness, no matter what's going on. So that people look at you and go, you're weird. Why would you be happy when the world is falling apart? And you say, I'm not happy because the world is falling apart, but I'm happy because my kingdom is not of this world. We, you know, this, isn't, this is not the power of positive thinking. This is not optimism. The Christian should not be an optimist. The Christian should have a biblical perspective. The, it's called Christianity, not optimism. <laughs> the world is falling apart. We're not optimistic about that. The world is falling apart. We're not optimistic about that. We're not pessimistic about that. What are we? We're Christians. Because no matter if the, the earth gives away or if mountains crumble or whatever, I think it's Psalm 46, no matter what happens, God is with us. No matter what happens, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let joy overflow, for you are united with the Anointed One. When we focus in on our union with Christ, you can be rejoicing no matter what. You can get through anything. Philippians 4 verse 5, King James says, Let your moderation or your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, in, in, in going through this chapter uh, for, this week, uh, for this weekend, this verse probably popped out to me the, the most and really blessed me the most um, because I believe we, we often have the wrong idea of what it means the Lord is at hand so we'll look at that but <laughs> let's look at it firstly let your moderation or your gentleness be known to all men yes. 
Let your gentleness, your yieldingness, your, 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 the sweetness of your attitude, the result of the joy of the Lord, the joy in the Lord, be known to all men. How do we make it known? By your life. By your behavior, by the way that you live, let your what's inside be known to all men. Okay? Good men and bad men. All men. Those who are rough and those who are good. But if you think about it, there's, there's evil people in the world who can express some kind of sympathy or gentleness to other people, right? Everyone can kind of express some kind of gentleness, some kind of um, uh, 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 sympathy towards people, to, towards people, but not to everyone. If you're a Christian, your duty is to express gentleness to all people. Not just those that it's easy to do. To all people. Okay? The voice puts it like this. Keep your gentle nature... So that all people will know what it looks like to walk in His footsteps. Keep your gentle nature so that all people, not just easy people, not just people that you like, not just people that you get along with, but all people will know what it looks like to walk in like Jesus, to walk in His footsteps. Then let's look at that other, other section. Uh, the Lord is at hand. We often look at that. We often look at that and we, we kind of say, the Lord is at hand, is talking about Him coming back soon. And I mean, part of the, the, the mentality with that would be that, hey, I'm just freaked out, I better live right because Jesus is coming back soon. That's, that's not the right perspective. Okay? If, if, you look at a different, uh, if you look at the King James translation then, is, is an italics, which means it's added for grammatical sense. So take it out and it says, the Lord at hand. So you can see that they added a word to try and make it sound better. Okay? But the Lord at hand is more correct than the Lord is at hand. And if you look up the word hand, it means uh, uh, not just coming soon. But it means that He's near. He's right here. And that same word for, uh, in the Greek for at hand is uh, translated near in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13. Ephesians 2.13, which says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made near or nigh by the blood of Christ. So this is not talking about the second coming. It's talking about the fact that Jesus is with you. This is why you should let your gentleness be known to all men. Because Christ is in you. Okay, the voice translation puts it nicely. The Lord is ever present with us. The Lord is ever present with us. That's why we keep our gentle nature so that people can see what it looks like to live like Jesus. Philippians 4 verse 6. This one is one that some of you need to have engraved on your forehand. So you, <laughs> your forearm so that you can see it all the time. Tattooed there. Be careful for nothing, King James says. The, the passion says, don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be careful for nothing. Don't fret or be, uh, 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 don't have any anxiety about anything. 
And yet we're all to a degree probably guilty of that. Having an anxiousness about something. Being worried about something. And there's grace. Amen? But I'm here to show you why you're anxious. It's because you're not thinking like a Christian. You're not living like a Christian. If you started to have the perspective of God, you wouldn't be anxious. You wouldn't be worried. You would start to be secure no matter what's going on around you. You know what peace, you, we define peace as just like uh, the Bahamas. Coconuts and a hammock. And that's, that's a, a band-aid peace. It's, not, it's temporary. It's not going to last forever. Peace is truly being secure amidst turmoil. Peace is you being in the Ukraine right now and not being worried. Peace is, is you being able to, like, like we saw with Timothy, who we prayed for, uh, and went to the, the Ukrainian border to go and, and minister to people. Not having fear about, please pray for my safety or protection. He was praying, he was saying, please pray for me for opportunities to preach the gospel. That's what he was praying, asking prayer for, prayer for. Okay? So be careful for nothing, or don't fret or be anxious about anything. The Passion says, don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. So when we're worried, we're being pulled off in different directions. Why? Because we're focused on something that's consuming us and it's pulling our hearts in a direction that we shouldn't be going in. We worry when we hold a different view, a view that we shouldn't be having. We worry when we're focused on something that we shouldn't be focused on. We're worried when we're not in faith. When we're not trusting God. We worry because we're not allowing God His rightful place in our hearts. Worry is not part of the fruit of the Spirit. Peace is. So whenever you get into worry, you're, getting, you're, 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 you're stifling fruitfulness. See, you've got the Spirit of God in you. And He is trying to continuously express fruit in your life. He's continuously trying to get out of you. Continuously looking for a gap to be able to express love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And often what we're doing, because we're not focused in on the Spirit of God within us, because we're often focused in on the challenges around us, we stifle the Spirit within us, and then we give way to worry and to fear and to anxiety and all of that. Worry, anxiety, fear and things like that are an indication that we have the wrong focus. As Christians, the one thing that we should be guarding is our focus. That's what guarding your heart is about. Guarding your focus. What are you focused on? Are you focused on the problems and the challenges and the shortcomings and the uh, insufficiencies and the inabilities and the whatever? Or are you focused on the all-sufficient one who lives inside of you? Worry, anxiety, fear is an indication of not trusting God. Period. I remember when I heard that in 2005, I think it was, for the first time. No, it was 2006, around there. That um, a, a worry is blasphemy against God. That's how strong I heard it. So I didn't say it, I'm just telling you what I heard years back. It was like a slap in the face. It was like someone had thrown cold water on me. And I was just like, 
Yeah, I wrote that on a piece of paper and I stuck it next to my bed, on the wall next to my bed, and I looked at it every day. Worry is blasphemy against God. It comes from not knowing Him and not trusting Him. And it got me out of it. <laughs> because I looked at that and I was like, I'm choosing to focus on you, Father. I'm choosing to focus on your word. This is, this is Christianity. Is making sure we have the right focus. Because if you don't have the right focus, you won't have the right life. Because everything comes from your heart in your life. The good, the bad, the ugly. And so the more you focus in on the truth of who you are in Christ, the more you start to live like it. The more you're going to rise up and start to live a, a victorious Christian life. A life full of fruitfulness, full of power. You'll start to be a good billboard for Jesus and not just one that says, you know, uh, advertise here. <laughs> Some of you walk around like that, the billboard, you know, advertise here. Or the enemies come and spray painted something on it to advertise some word that we shouldn't repeat. <laughs> graffiti. Don't be a graffiti billboard. Be, be a good billboard for Jesus. It's, it's the, the result of the right focus. And in verse 7 we see the result of right focus. It says, because of this right focus, because you're rejoicing in the Lord always, because you're not anxious about anything, then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, which means it doesn't make sense, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Okay, so it says, shall keep. It shall guard. It shall garrison, uh, like a garrison does a city. Okay? We're we going to, 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 to guard, this peace will guard our hearts. It will guard our affections, what we desire. And if it's guarding what we desire, that means we're going to go in the right direction. Because your life is following the desires of your heart. That's the answer to some of your problems right now. Your heart, your life is following the desires of your heart. So change your focus and start desiring God. Shall keep your hearts and your minds. You know why it says it'll guard our minds or keep our minds is that it'll keep our understanding. It'll keep all the various workings on. You know, your mind is, is, is a powerful force that most of you leave unkept. That most of you are just letting happen. And you're not allowing, you're, you're not choosing to be the director of your life like you've been called to. You've all got an, an invisible name badge on your chest. And it says, mine says, Shane Holsgrove, director of Shane's life. <laughs> you've got one that says your own name on there. And yes, I need to submit to the Lordship of Christ and allow Him to lead my life. But in actuality, I still make decisions that determine whether I'm going in His direction or my direction. Now, through the, the, the Spirit and through the power of Jesus Christ, in the knowledge and the love of God, you know, the, we, we can live a victorious life which just influences the world and, and blesses the world. But in order to be there, we've got to guard our hearts. We've got to guard our focus. Because if we don't, our affections will not be preserved. Why is it that some of you, when it comes on, you know, when, when Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday comes, when Wednesday comes, why is it that some of you have lost all your passion for the Lord and you're waiting for Sunday? Maybe it's not someone here, it's someone who didn't come. But it's like, you know, there's so many Christians that live like that. 
Sunday's done, Monday's exciting, Tuesday's a bit tiring, Wednesday, you know, I'm just down in the dumps. Why? Because we're not guarding our affections. We're not channeling our focus. We're focused in on the challenges and the problems. We're not maintaining a, a right heart. And from your heart flow all the issues of life. So if you want a good life, if you want a good flow, if you want people to come and drink from the fountain of your life and eat from the fruits of your tree, then what do you need to do? You need to guard what you allow in. Because some of you are poisonous. Because of the poison that you're feasting on. And so we need to make sure that we're, we're not poisonous. Because, you know, you become like the people that you hang out with. We've seen this over the years. Currently, there's no living example of this in the church. Praise God. But in the past, we've had many examples of life groups which attract all the toxic people. And it's like, we watch as leaders and we're like, isn't it amazing <laughs> that all of these kind of people have all gravitated to that house? And they're all gathered over there. I don't know of anyone like that currently, but it's just amazing. You just see them coming from, like, crawling out of the woodwork, and they're coming up, <laughs> and then they all gather together, and apparently it's a, a great life group. And then we, we, we send someone, then they come back, and they're like, I, I can't go there again. <laughs> yeah? Anyway. We're talking about how perspective and attitude determine our fruitfulness or not. Philippians 4 verse 8, the Passion says, So continually, or so, sorry, so keep your thoughts continually fixed. Keep your thoughts continually fixed. You need to decide to keep your thoughts continually fixed, or they won't be. You're either wafting, or you're fixed. Are you wafting, or are you fixed? It's your decision. Where are your thoughts? Are you focused on what's true and what's right? And we're going to look at that verse now. Or are you focused in on everything else? Philippians 4, 8 to 9 from the New Living Translation says, Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now that eliminates a whole lot from your thought life. That eliminates a whole lot of things that you, you might be thinking about right now even. But, but here, I'm going to take it a step further. Because <clears throat> I always looked at this verse, re- recently I was looking at this verse, actually a couple of weeks back, and I was thinking about it, and I was like, there are some things that are true and honorable that would not be helpful to think about. It might kind of just keep me in neutral or make me feel good, but it's not going to push me in the right direction. Right? There's many things. You can think about things that are are lovely. I mean, think about something lovely in your life that's not spiritual. There's lovely things that aren't spiritual. So this verse needs to be talking about something more. Okay? Uh, 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 What is he not talking about? What is he talking about? In the Aramaic, we can translate this as, Fasten your thoughts on every act of glorification. Fasten your thoughts of air on every act of glorification. This is talking about salvation. This isn't talking about the nice home that you have. Think about that. That can burn and then what? Don't think about the, the nice relationship that you have with your spouse. and That's lovely, so think about that. That's good, 
be thankful for a good relationship with anybody. But the point is, is Paul's not encouraging us to think about that. Because that can burn, that can disappear, that can be ruined. And then what? You're putting all your, 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 your joy into something which can shake. Our, our joy and our focus needs to be on something unshakable. Think about things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, excellent, and worthy of praise. What is that? Salvation. It's talking about kingdom. It's talking about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Think about that. What is better to think about than that? Because it doesn't matter what circumstances, it doesn't matter what you're going through, if you're just focused in on the fact that you're one with God, you're full of Him, then you can get through anything. Then it doesn't matter what the circumstances are, you're going to have peace and joy no matter what. And I'm sure everyone's hands would go up in saying, I want peace and I want joy. If you want peace and joy, stop focusing on the rubbish that you focus on. Stop focusing on the rubbish that you focused on and focused on Christianity. Christ is in me. I'm one with Him. He's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. He loves me. And again, this isn't optimism or the power of positive thinking. This is Christianity. Another key for successful Christian living is operating in our new nature of generosity. Operating in our new nature of generosity. Because now Paul starts to talk about that and thanking them for their, their giving. <clears throat> and here's the thing. In, in challenging times, we, need, we tend to digress and become self-focused. We, we tend to become self-absorbed. We start to put the effort into self-preservation when things get, get, get heated or things get difficult. In challenging times, in persecution, in war, in whatever, we are still Christians. We don't turn off ambassador badge. It don't, don't, don't take it off and put it in the, on the nightstand because, you know what, it's, it, you can't do this now. You are still who you are, and part of that is even generosity. Paul is showing us that generosity doesn't stop because you're suffering persecution. Generosity doesn't stop because you're, you're suffering persecution. How does he show us this? Well, he's writing to the persecuted church to thank them for their financial support. How can a church that's being persecuted financially support? I don't know, but they did it. Paul is also showing us that even in jail, you can be generous. Because <laughs> he's in jail, and he's being generous and taking time to pray for the church of Philippi. And he's being generous with his time and his effort to sit and write them a letter of encouragement. Isn't this amazing? We can be generous in different ways. Finance, time... Uh, uh, taking the effort to, to encourage people, etc. In Philippians 4, I'm going to read from verse 10 to 12. Uh, 10 down, so just stick with me there. Uh, verse 10. My heart overflows with joy when I think of how you showed your love to me by your financial support of my ministry. For even though you have so little... You still continue to help me at every opportunity. Now I want to start there and look at, you've shown me your love. Again, love cannot not give. I'm not just trying to take an offering here. Okay, this is just mature, a maturing message for us to be able to grow. 
You, we show our love through action. So, in the context of uh, a spouse, I love you is a great thing to say, but show your love. Demonstrate your love. Don't just say, I love Grace Life. This is such an amazing church. Give. <laughs> Amen. That's part of showing your love. You don't say to somebody like a family member, I love you so much, and then you know that they have a need and you don't help them. The love of God isn't in you, then the Bible says. We, we want to show our love. And Paul is saying here, you've shown me your love by your financial support. And then he says, even though you have so little, it doesn't matter how little you have. You can express your love. Sometimes a small gesture, just a small gesture of love towards a friend or somebody goes a long way. Like it really blessed me that you brought me water this morning. Thank you. Because I forgot again. <laughs> you know, and that's just a small gesture of love. There's little things like that that go a long way. Okay? And all it takes for us is to realize, hey, I've got the Spirit of God in me so I can do this. I can do this. Then he says, you still continue to help me at every opportunity. The church at Philippi didn't just send a check and say our duty is done. They were looking for opportunities to be a blessing. I don't, if you don't know people like that, we know people like that. It's amazing how, 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 what a blessing people like that are in a sense of they're looking for opportunities. Can I help you? Can I be a blessing here? Can I do this? Can I help you with that? And it just, imagine if the whole church was like that towards each other. Someone says, I'm moving and everybody's there. <laughs> you know, we, we often see that, but, but it's like there's just things like that happen and it's, a, it's just community in action. Our love expressed towards one another. Verse 11, I'm, now, now I love this. I've already said, I'm not taking an offering. But Paul's saying it now. I'm not telling you this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be satisfied in any circumstance. I'm not telling you this because I'm in need. So he's not in the hint ministry right now. He's not in the hint ministry. What is he doing? He, he's writing to say thank you. He's not writing to say, please give me more. I've been on those ministries uh, uh, mailing lists. And not anymore. Where they're constantly writing, asking for more. But yeah, uh, uh, anyway, that's another story. If Paul can learn contentment, so can we. It's about satisfaction. If Paul can learn to be satisfied in any circumstance, so can we. And yet some of us aren't satisfied because, I don't know, our TV isn't big enough. I don't know what. Whatever the case is, we've got to learn to be satisfied no matter what. If Paul can learn contentment, so can we. Verse 12, I know what it means to lack. Let's pause there and rebuke Paul for his poverty mentality. <laughs> he says, I know what it means to lack. He says, I know what it means to experience overwhelming abundance. For I'm trained in the secret of overcoming all things. We all want to overcome all things. And he's saying, I've learned the secret. He's going to tell us. Whether in fullness or in hunger. And I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. Do you know that the, what the foundation for overcoming is? It's the power of the Spirit available to you because of salvation. 
It's the power of the Spirit available to you because of salvation. And when you realize that, you can start to overcome in any and every circumstance. So here's a challenge. Stop praying as if salvation didn't happen. Stop acting as if salvation never occurred. Because you've now got the Spirit in you, so now you need to start to live like that. You've got to start to believe that and start to act in accordance with that. Verse 15. We're getting there. It says, For if no, for I want you to know that the Philippian church, he's talking to the Philippian church, and he says, I want you to know that the Philippian church, the persecuted church, the church going through challenging times, was the only church that supported me in the beginning as I went out to preach the gospel. You were the only church that sowed into me financially. And when I was in Thessalonica, you supported me for well over a year. Isn't that amazing? He, 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 these people who didn't have much, these people who were enduring difficult times, when they weren't switching off and saying, hey, when are you taking an offering for us? They were saying, we're going we're gonna to support you. We're here for you. We're not giving up. We're going to keep going. Verse 17. I mention this not because I'm requesting a gift. He says it again. But so that the fruit of your generosity may bring you an abundant reward. Now, I, I was meditating on this and trying to figure this out. Maybe I haven't figured it out completely yet. But verse 17 blesses me because he's saying that, hey, the, the, he's wanting the fruit of their generosity to bring them an abundant reward. And I believe what part of that is, is the fact that uh, 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 they know that their giving is being well received. That's reward. Isn't it a blessing when you give and you know that it was needed? Yeah. That it's well received. That it's a blessing. That it's accomplishing much. That, that's part of the blessing. But part of the, 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 the reward is Philippians 4 verse 1. You are my joy and my crown. People. We can't take money with us, but we can take people with us. Money is something that can burn, but it can be turned into something eternal when we use it to reach people and then we get to take people with us. Imagine getting to heaven and they go, Welcome, it's so awesome to have you here. Welcome home, Jesus says, you know. And then you get some who get there and they're like, Welcome home, good and faithful servant. Come and meet those that, that, that you helped get you. You may not have led these people to the Lord, but you gave and, and your giving helped get them here. Come and meet your brothers and sisters in Christ who are enjoying eternity because of you. Some of us will just be happy to be there. <laughs> Some of us will be happy to meet people there. Verse 18. Now I have all I need, more than enough. I'm abundantly satisfied. For I've received the gift you sent by Aphroditus and viewed it as a sweet sacrifice, perfumed with the fragrance of your faithfulness, which is so pleasing to God. I'm convinced that my God will fully satisfy every need you have, for I have seen the abundant riches of glory revealed to me through the anointed one, Jesus. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. He's writing that to a persecuted church. It's not a prosperity verse. 
He's writing that to a persecuted church which has very little to say God's going to look after you because you're generous. Because their hearts were open and they were flowing in this gift of generosity towards the, uh, 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 Paul and furthering the gospel and looking after him. And, and Paul's saying, hey, there's generosity in your heart. I can see that the generosity is because of love. I can see that the generosity is because of uh, uh, faith in your life. And I believe Paul would be looking at that and going, I know that because of what's in your heart, love and faith, you don't have to be worried about your needs. Because God's looking after you. You're experiencing the provision. And the provision might not look like, you know, a gold throne. Or a second car. Or whatever. But the provision is there. God's looking after you. So all in all, you know, God is, is showing us through this book that we can live like a Christian no matter what. And the, the, the major key that I want to bring out from Philippians 4 is we need to change our perspective if we want to change the world. We, we must change our perspective if we want to live in victory. If we want to be fruitful in this life, we need to change what we're focusing on. And I want to challenge you, even in, if it's just this week ahead, try to every day read through that confession sheet of this is who I am in Christ and meditate on those things until you believe them. And you know, one of the, 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 the spin-offs of that, one of them, just one of them, will be a richer experience on a Sunday when we get together. You're not going to come waiting for the, 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 the leadership up front to wind you up. And here we are winding you up and trying to get you going. It's going to be, we come together and we're ready. We're going to come together full and ready to overflow towards each other. On a Monday morning, you're not going to have to kind of like get ready to endure another week. You're going to be wound up and ready to go, ready to overflow towards the people that you come into contact with in every sphere of life. People out there need what you've got. People out there need what you've got. And at work, you don't stop being an ambassador. You've got to do it carefully. Because your boss is paying you to do whatever you're doing. And so do what you're supposed to do. And minister and witness in between. Don't use his, his time that he's paying you for to do God's work. God, God would want you to honor your boss. But here's the thing. You find creative ways to be able to be a blessing. And to be able to, to reach people. And you're not going to have to try if you know who you are. Because your focus is right. Amen? Father, I want to thank you that for all of us, it's not just for a few in this room, but for every single one of us, we can change our perspective. We can, we can focus even more on you in us. There's something that we can shift our focus off of and shift our focus onto. Father, I thank you that for each and every one in this meeting, right now, online and in person, that we would make decisions right now to focus more and more on the reality of the Spirit within. The reality that you're one with us. And that we wouldn't be seeking to, to get something more, but we'd be seeking to realize what we've got. 
and operating in that place and from that place, Father. Thank you that as we change our focus and shift our attention and our thinking, we, we're going to start to see more fruitfulness in our lives of joy and peace. And, and those are fruit that are going to, obviously we enjoy it, but people are going to want to hang around with us more because they like feeling peaceful and joyful when they're hanging out with us. And it's all because of you in us. Thank you that this week we're all going to express more fruit than we've ever imagined. That people are going to see more fruit in our lives than we ever imagined, than we've ever seen before. And thank you for an overflow from this conference, from this meeting. Into the people that we come into contact with who didn't even know about this conference. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.